It's another Live at Five Sports. Todd Bergeth normally here with Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune and Talk North podcast brought to us by Prairie's Edge Casino Resort. Todd is out today, Bill, uh, subbing in. And Jim, uh, since we last talked, the Twins uh, did what we thought they would do. But uh, until you do it, I guess, you know, you're never sure. But they clinched uh, what was kind of a weak division in baseball. Yeah, for all the panic and whining over this team, I felt like they were always on pace to win middle 80 games, 85 to 88, win the division by a wide margin, and be set up going to the playoffs. And honestly, for the last month, month and a half, they've had about a 97% chance of making the playoffs. It really hasn't been – it's the nature of Minnesota sports fans. They want to panic every time something doesn't go perfectly. This team, you know, once they got it going after the All-Star break, there really wasn't much doubt they were the best team they were going to win. You know, and it all kind of goes back to that starting pitching. And, uh, boy, that one-two punch they've had uh, all year for the most part and no injuries to, you know, those top two pitchers. Uh, how much, uh, you know, credence does that uh, or add to the fact that pitching is kind of the, the king and when it comes to baseball? Well, pitching is always the most important and most difficult thing to obtain. And now having good pitching doesn't guarantee you that you're going to win, uh, but it gives you the best possible chance. Uh, it's a lot easier to go into a game thinking if we get three, four runs, we're going to win. And if, oh, God, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to hit two, three run homers to win this game. Uh, and so I think what we've seen is the starting pitching has been good all year. Um, they've had excellence at the top, they've had depth. Um, they've given themselves a chance to win night after night after night. And once the young hitters emerged, once Royce Lewis and Walner and Julianne and Jeffers really started swinging the bats, all of a sudden, you know, the fact that, I mean, really, this, I know people want to downplay this because the division is bad, but this team's going to win like 87 games without much from their best and highest paid players. That's Buxton and Correa. If I told you in April, or in, in, let's say March, if I told you in March, Buxton's not going to be able to play center field at all this year. He's going to be hurt a lot. He's not going to hit at all. And Correa is going to deal with plantar fasciitis. He's not going to hit anywhere close to his career. We wouldn't have picked this team to win 87 games or win the division. We would have picked this team to win 77 games and lose the division by a wide margin. So I think we're overlooking the fact that in the middle of the season, with two of the best players not able to contribute the way they should, they've had a bunch of young kids come up and, and kind of transform the roster. Yeah, the kids really did seem to give them a real spark. And, you know, and some of the offseason signings uh, didn't hurt either. I mean, the guys like Kyle Farmer, uh, they stepped up, and, and Willie Castro, I, I was impressed with his contributions. Uh, well, they really signed, made a bunch of subtle signings that none of us thought were all that impressive at the time. Uh, nobody blinked when they signed Donovan Solano. He's been one of the best hitters, no, and he's been very versatile. Uh, Willie Castro was supposed to be just another Nick Gordon. He's way better than Nick Gordon. He's their best base dealer, their best base, best base runner. Uh, he's their most versatile player. He's produced at a very high rate offensively for a utility player. He's gotten a lot of big hits for them. Uh, Kyle Farmer obviously was brought in in, as, in case Correa left, and he ended up being a nice addition. And uh, Michael A. Taylor ended up playing gold level caliber center field and making up for the loss of Buxton. So those signings were not particularly exciting at the time, but they show some expertise in, in putting exactly the right people in, in the, on the roster. Yeah, and that's kind of what we expected from, uh, from this uh, hierarchy. The one uh, thing I guess, and, and maybe I'm too harsh, but uh, Vasquez hasn't impressed me that much, but it seems like he does have a role on the team too where the other players kind of respect him, it looks like. No, you're right. That was a bad signing. They signed him to a three-year deal for reasonable, for pretty good money, and he has not performed, and he didn't really perform well last year. 
they were hoping he would bounce back, and they were also hoping he, that his defense and pitch calling, all those other things, would, would pay off. Uh, frankly, Jeffers, in a weird way, the Vasquez signing might have worked in that it seems to have spurred Jeffers. Jeffers has, is finally the hitter they thought he was going to be. He's been better behind the plate, and he's really won the job. You know, just the fact that they try to rest their, their catchers is the only reason that, that Vasquez still plays a lot. So it was a bad signing, but it might have gotten a good result. Watching uh, last night's uh, Mariners game against uh, Houston, and boy, some vintage Justin Verlander in that one. Uh, you know, the Mariners do have their fate in their hands, though. It's seven games here this last week against the other two teams they're trying to catch. Uh, you know, they can't blame anybody that, that, but themselves if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, and when you have this many teams going in the playoffs, anybody doesn't make it didn't deserve to make it. If the Twins had not won this division, then they would not have deserved to be a playoff team. Uh, right now, you know, the Astros would open at the Twins. Blue, Blue Jays would open at the Rays. Seattle still has a chance. There might still be some movement there. Um, but, you know, I've been told that Royce Lewis is going to be able to at least DH in the playoffs. We'll see if he's able, ready to play third base or not. And I think I'm hearing that Correa's foot is feeling much better and that he's going to be ready to go. So they're not really going to have any excuses. They should have a very good team with excellent starting pitching lined up for whoever they play. Well, the Vikings off to that 0-3 start. I think a lot of fans thought maybe 1-2 and at this point. Uh, you know, But the manner in which they're getting beat, uh, pretty exasperating, really. Yes, but as somebody who's been writing about the NFL since 1989, have you ever had a team lose and it not being exasperating? I mean, that's the nature of the NFL. There's always going to be one play and go, oh, if they'd just gotten that one play, if that one call had gone our way, if that ball hadn't bounced that way. That's the nature of the NFL. That's how, that's how games are won and lost. So um, I, they have problems. I, picked, I had them winning 11 games after a one and two start. So really they're only one game off my expected pace. Uh, they have to win at Carolina. This is the first time I think they're actually playing a must-win game. They have to win at Carolina. They need to, you know, they need to survive here for a little bit. And then they have a very soft stretch in the middle where they should win a bunch of games if they're the team I think they are. Uh, they're also going to get – they should get Davenport back this week. They should have Akers available to them this week, and they should have Reisner starting by this week. So, uh, it, obviously, 0-3 is the worst you can possibly do. Uh, I just wouldn't – I wouldn't give up on this team yet. Well, and watching the two teams that beat them, you know, go head-to-head last night, uh, there's little doubt that, that Philadelphia, you know, is a very good team. But, uh, you know, Tampa, to me, that still kind of sticks in my craw that the Vikings lost that game. Right. They should have beaten Tampa, no doubt. Uh, the Chargers are very talented. That was a toss-up game, and they lost the toss-up game in the last-second play. The Eagles are one of the best teams in football. They're playing them on their home opener on Thursday night in a short week. Uh, on the road, that was always going to be a tough one. It's the Tampa game that, that does it for you. And the fact that in the second half, the Vikings defense let what I think is a bad offense move the ball on them, and that the Vikings offense couldn't outscore them, couldn't be efficient enough, uh, I think that you know that, that's the game that you want back. Looking at uh, the Thursday night matchup, it's a Central Division or uh, a- a- NFC North Division matchup between uh, Detroit and Green Bay. That actually could be kind of an intriguing game. It could be. Uh, and you know, I mean, that's the thing is that if you look at just the Vikings, you know, oh, they're on three, and that's terrible. If you look at them as, hey, they're they're going to be in a position where they can catch one of these teams, maybe catch two of these teams, maybe catch, you know. And I'm saying the Bears are terrible. So the Bears are not to be worried about. But the Lions and the Packers are both intriguing teams. They look like above average teams. We don't know if they're either is actually all that good. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that game turns out and how those teams progress. Because neither of those teams are there yet either. 
No, that's absolutely right. Well, the Ryder Cup, how far off are we from actually that getting underway? Uh, it'll start very early our time Friday morning, like one thirty in the morning, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're gearing up. It's supposed to be a beautiful course. It's in Italy. And, uh, you know, as always is the case, the Americans look like the better team on paper. But uh, the Europeans are dangerous, especially when they play at home. They play with so much pride. Aberg, being a, a kind of a rising star, might bolster the bottom of their roster. They have, you know, great talent up top of the top of their roster. And, you know, usually when the Europeans win, it's because some guys we haven't heard that much about end up playing just as well as some of the, the American stars. What's the format again, Jim? There's some singles and then there's doubles matches. Uh, what is it, uh, alternating best shot? or uh, Basically, there, there are three different segments. There's, there's four balls, there's foursomes, and, there's, uh, and then there are the singles on Sunday to wrap it up. So they'll play four balls and foursomes, one session of each, on Friday and Saturday, and then they'll go to singles and try to, you know, and everybody will play one round, one match, and that'll finish it off. So, uh, you know, two different formats. One is alternating shots. One is four players playing their own ball, and the two top scores match up. One is alternate shots, which is really the heart of the Ryder Cup. You know, mm-hmm. how do two players figure out how to blend together where one one hits well off the tee, the next it's well it's good from the you know from the fairway one is a better putter i mean how that's where the science really comes in you know how do you match up the right people to play together where they they like each other they support each other their 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 skills are complementary uh, and they and they play well together under pressure that's where to me that that's where the Ryder Cup really gets decided yeah it's intriguing uh, that's for sure well jim thank you so much have a great day great thanks bill